0: Amen. While you're still standing, can you help me thank the kids for leading us in worship this morning? Great job, kiddos. We're so proud. of y'all can be seated. I, I want to take the time also just to recognize some of the incredible things God is doing through our student ministry led by Edwin and Heather Botero, through our kids ministry led by Nikki, and all of them with volunteers that serve with and alongside of them. Uh, I had the chance on Wednesday night to join uh, the student summer kickoff party, Um, and we had over 30 middle school and high school students uh, learning about the Lord and, and, and fellowshipping together and having a water balloon fight. I may or may not have been soaked from head to toe by the end of it, and it was totally worth it. And just seeing the work that God is doing through our leaders and in those students, praise God for our student ministry. And when it comes to kids, we're seeing just incredible things every Sunday, but I want you to know... That our VBS program happening in July, what Brianna mentioned to you a moment ago, we already have 190 children, grades kindergarten through fifth grade, that are registered to take part in our summer VBS. Praise God for the work that he's doing there. Um, And you know, one of the things that's challenging, uh, not just a challenge for me, but a challenge for all of us as we follow Jesus in this broken world, is that we live in the tension We live in the tension between what God is doing at such an incredible level, not only in our children and students, but among our adults and in our families, and yet also walking a world that is so dark and so broken. And this weekend, my heart is heavy. I know many of your hearts are heavy, and not the least of which, it's Memorial Day weekend. We remember those who have given the ultimate sacrifice in defense of our country. Those in the United States of America, also in our allied nations who have served and put their lives on the line and who have lost their lives in service to our country. This weekend, we want to remember them. We want to honor them. And we want to remember those of you who have maybe an empty place at the table because of someone who served on behalf of this country. Thank you for their service. But I don't think it's too much to say that that's not the only reason our hearts are heavy this weekend. And without going into detail, I just want to, in a moment, as we have a moment of silence to remember those who have fallen on the battlefield, to also acknowledge those who have fallen in other places because of the evil that exists in our world. And I just want to take a moment to remember them and allow the Lord to lead you in whatever prayer you might pray privately, and then I'll give voice to a prayer after that. Would you join me in a moment of silence and prayer for those who have fallen? God, in heaven, we pause this morning to remember that there are men and women who have gone to all parts of this world in defense of the values that we claim as a nation, values of liberty and justice. God, we are a work in progress, and this morning we recognize that there's a long way to go. The news stories of the last two or three weeks have only further reminded us that we live in a broken and a fallen world. And God, we pray for all those that are hurting. We pray that healing would come to communities that desperately need it. And God, the truth is that our leaders have failed us. Our leaders in government have failed us. Our leaders, even within many of our churches, have failed us. And we were reminded of it again this week. And yet, God, we're not looking to a man. We're not looking to a woman. We're looking to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to set things right. And God, we pray that you would. We pray that you would hold accountable those who need to be held accountable, that you would bring your judgment where it needs to be brought, that there would be mercy on those who need mercy, and God, we repent on behalf of all who have sinned against you, including our own sins, God, and God, we pray that you would heal our nation, that you would heal our land, that we would continue to build on the promise of a better future as we see and pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, we're gonna wrap up a series that we've been in for the last several weeks called I'm Not Fine. Somebody told me, they reminded me, they said, Pastor, just remember that whatever you take us through as a church, God's gonna take you through as well. So our next sermon series will be called Everything is Great. (laughs) I'm only kidding, but I'm not kidding about the fact that it has been a tough, tough few weeks. And This morning, we're going to conclude the series. I'm not going to tell you quite yet what we're going to talk about, what the topic is, but I want to tell you how we're going to approach it. We're going to do this. I want to identify a problem that goes under the category of things aren't okay, I'm not fine, and then we're going to look at a biblical solution, what God gives us as the solution to that problem, and then the opportunity that's before us. I believe that it is an unprecedented opportunity in the history of the world what the church can be in society today as we serve as salt and light on behalf of our Lord and then I'll conclude with what I see as a three-step plan and a vision forward in tackling this problem here it is the problem we're addressing today is the problem of loneliness or isolation let me ask you and and maybe if there's somebody who's a child or student you want to answer this what was the first thing that went wrong in the world does anybody know kids what was the first thing that went wrong Anybody, shout it out. What was it? Sin. That was a young person or somebody that has a very young voice. Thank you, Emily. Yes. Yes, this is what we would say, and Emily is right in a large part. Yes, sin was really the way that, that, that the fall happened, the way that things began to go wrong. But did you know that even before we get to the fall in Genesis chapter 3, we see God saying about something, it, it isn't good. Now, if we were to back up to the first page of our Bible, Genesis chapter 1, we see God creating mountains and rivers and plants and insects and animals, and every day he says the same thing, it is good. And when God creates the man and the woman, he says it is very good. And yet, in Genesis chapter 2, before there was any sin in the world, God said something is not quite right. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. And to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you must not eat, for the day that you eat of it you will surely die. And then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the first imperfection in our world was not sin, that came later. The first imperfection was loneliness. God said, there is a situation here that isn't good. It's not good for people to do life alone. Now, let me break a a thought that might not have crossed your mind yet. God was not surprised by Adam's loneliness. God wasn't caught off guard. It wasn't like he was like, man, the rhinoceros all have a companion and the butterflies have a companion and the eagles have a companion, but oops, I forgot to give the man one. So why is it that God would create a man in isolation and then meet his need? Here's why. God wanted to drive home the point for us. What it looks like when people live life in isolation, God says, it isn't good. It isn't good. I'm not not content to leave man in this isolated situation. I'll make a helper who is fit for him. So God wanted to emphasize the need for humans to be in relationship more specifically than that. God is highlighting the interdependence between the genders, man and woman, male and female. Paul would pick up this theme in the New Testament. He would say, hey, women, just remember that you were created out of a man. God took the rib of Adam to make the woman. And not only that, but every man since Adam that was born came through the womb of a woman. What was God thinking in this design? Here was the point, we need each other. And in a day and an age where there's all this conversation, this shouting of, of independence, I don't need you, I'm strong on my own, we run the world, God's going to say, no, 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 the, when it's working right, men and women live in mutual interdependence with one another. And even more specifically than that, in the point of Adam and Eve, God is saying, hey, marriage between a man and a woman, the exclusive intimacy that a man and a woman can enjoy in marriage, this is a good thing. This is a right thing. And all of this comes right out of Genesis chapter 2. I can tell you that for me, as I struggle throughout my whole life with uh, anxiety and, and doubts and guilt and loneliness, and I've got pages and pages of fill, you know, filled with just my inner thinking. I've told Nikki, the the purple folder in my nightstand when I die, just just burn it. Like nobody needs to see that stuff. But one of the things that changed for me when I was 26 years old is that when I met uh, Nikki on October 3rd, 2008, loneliness kind of disappeared for the rest of my life, at, at least to this point. Because God met the need that I had. I, I, was, I was living with this loneliness, this lack of companionship. And when I saw this girl in a purple dress on that day, I thought, hey, I'm not gonna be lonely anymore. This is a good thing. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't times where I feel alone or feel lonely, but we actually now are dealing with a different problem. Uh, Nikki, at one point, earlier in our marriage, said, hey, baby, can you please just give me a chance to miss you? <laughs> now, I, I, I acknowledge Marriage is not the cure-all for everything, right? Like some of you are in marriages and you feel desperately lonely and my heart grieves for you. That's not the way God intended it to be. Some of you were married and now you find yourself alone again because it fell apart, because somebody ran out, somebody abandoned you, somebody rejected and my heart goes out to you and some of you have not been married and marriage isn't the only way that God can solve this problem of loneliness but it is a way See, I believe every person needs to be in close human relationship, and this comes out of our hard wiring. It's the way God made us. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God is creating humanity, he says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And you know, part of being made in the likeness of God is living in community. You'll notice in that verse that God says, our image and our likeness. It's like, who in the world is he referring to? I thought there was one God. Yes, one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Meaning that from infinity past and into infinity future, God lives in community within himself. (laughs) But God says, when I create people, they're not going to be different in this way. They're not going to be self-sufficient. They're not going to be a rock and an island. They're going to need to live in community with other people just as I, as God, live in community within myself. In fact, did you know that this need for human relationship is so hardwired, it is so essential to the human experience, that studies are revealing that our, our, our brains are changing as people experience greater degrees of chronic loneliness. It's actually affecting neuroscience. I came across an article earlier this week of a man who spent 29 years in solitary confinement in a prison system. First of all, that shouldn't be happening anyway ever but this man after 29 years was found to be innocent and released and they found that as he reintegrated into society he had trouble with two things in particular he had trouble recognizing human faces they were distorted, he had trouble recognizing even faces as being human, and he had, a, he had the inability to follow simple directions. He would be told to go to the store and get something, and he would lose his way and forget why he had left. See, what happened is this man living in chronic isolation from society, his brain changed to give him only the skills he needed to survive, digest food, and keep breathing. And that's an extreme example, but what happens is when loneliness mounts, our brain changes to put us into survival mode, and we start to see things happening in society, we go, what in the world was that person thinking? How could a person do such a thing? And one of the answers is more and more people in our society are experiencing chronic isolation and loneliness, Last week, Holly did an incredible job leading us through a biblical perspective on mental illness, talking about anxiety and depression. And the fact is that not in every case, but in many cases, loneliness serves as almost a gateway drug to mental health issues, because we are not meant to live alone. We are not meant to do life in isolation. So the problem we're going to talk about today is loneliness. Here's the solution. This comes straight out of Scripture. The solution is family. Or La Familia. I'm learning some Spanish because I'm going to Puerto Rico next month. God says family is going to be the solution to loneliness and isolation. Uh, You know, when God created Adam and Eve, he was not just creating the first uh, people, he was creating the first family unit. In fact, the very first command that God gives them, before he says not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the first commandment is have children. He says, go forth and multiply. In in other words, Adam and Eve become parents who raise children in the context of family. Now, I want to recognize that some of you have desperately desired to have children and have not been able. You need to feel no burden of guilt. You need to feel no sense of God's favor not being on you. But but in, in general, God's plan is, is get married, have children, raise children in the context of family, point them to Jesus so that they can then be married, raise children who follow after Christ and perpetuate this throughout society. So Adam and Eve first, and then in Genesis 6, God sends a flood to destroy the world and he restarts humanity with Noah and his family. A few chapters later, Genesis chapter 12, God comes to a man named Abram and says, Abram, I have a plan for you. It's a plan that's going to change the course of human history, and it's going to start with you becoming a father. And Abram's name would be changed to Abraham, which means a father, because he would be the father of Isaac, who would be the father of Israel and the nation of Israel. And then we look at God himself. We know the first and second person of the Trinity is God the Father and God the Son. And when the time came for Jesus to come into the world and to redeem it, he came into the context of a family. So I want you to know today that the family is not, you know, uh, incidental to God's purposes and God's plans. One of the reasons that we see such an all-out assault on the family in modern society is because God loves family. He created family. He is pro-family. I made a list earlier this week of the things that people gain from a healthy family of origin. Some of you I know did not have one, but Nikki and I talked, I said, Nikki, what's Like, just throw something out there. What's something that people gain from being in uh, healthy families when they grow up? And she said, I think first it would be a sense of belonging and identity. I said, did you read my notes? (laughs) It was literally the first thing that I wrote down. When we're in a healthy family unit, we have this innate sense of belonging and personal identity. Let me throw a few others at you. Healthy families of origin can give us a feeling of protection. They can steward loving correction, give us companionship, help us to understand how to relate to others outside of the family. And finally, when we grow up in healthy families of origin, we get a healthy view of who God the Father is. Conversely, when we grow up in broken families, dysfunctional families, our view of God himself can be distorted around that. So the question becomes, what do we do about the fact that many of us and an increasing number of us did not have the benefit of healthy families of origin. Are we a lost cause? My answer would be no, because God has called his people to be a family for those who need family. Psalm 68 verses 5 and 6, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. Let me read that last part again. God sets the lonely in families. God's cure God's remedy for isolation is for people to live in family even those whose own families of origin have fallen apart widows orphans the fatherless if you were to do a word search on fatherless and widows in the old testament you would find over a hundred hits we get this weird idea that the old testament you know god is just kind of this this angry brooding you know cosmic figure that's sending judgment no 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 the old testament is establishing the fact that god loves people that he is faithful through all generations that his heart goes out to and his plans encompass those who are most in need orphans the fatherless and widows and of course, the New Testament version of this is James chapter 1, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's right there in the verse, God the Father. His heart is a Father's heart. His heart is to place the lonely and isolated in the context of families. The truth is, right here at Horizon West Church, we have more than a few people, who have stepped into the role of a foster parent, an adoptive parent. They have gone beyond their own family unit to bring in those in need of family, and we commend you, and we champion you, and we believe in foster and adoption. We also have something called Care Portal, where we as a church get the needs of those families who are in crisis, who are right on the edge, and we're able to meet those needs so those families can remain intact because we believe in keeping families together. Some are doing wraparound care for those who have fostered and adopted where they provide meals and they allow for date nights and they support that family as they extend beyond themselves to reach others. The truth is this, that we also demonstrate the heart of God when we make any effort, any effort to include those who are in the margins into our lives. We've still got some kids in the room. We had a bunch of them in the first service, but I think my three were a little unruly and got taken out. But, But God has a plan for kids and the truth is that many of our children our students they're on the front lines of this issue some of the loneliest places on our planet and the loneliest places in america are the hallways of elementary middle and high schools where kids feel so lost so rejected so abandoned children and students you can make a difference when you see somebody in your neighborhood or in your classroom being bullied you step up and you stop it you say we don't treat people like that here Or if there's a new person in town and new to your neighborhood or class, you be the first to make a friend with that person. Let them know you're there for them. Kids, even, I know we're in the summer now, but even when school comes back, something as simple as sitting next to somebody who's sitting alone in the lunchroom can change that person's life. Kids, you have a part to play. Students, you have a part to play. Adults, for us, it might look like walking closely with somebody who's in a failing marriage, someone of the same gender, let me make that point, who's in a failing marriage and walking with them. Those of us who are married, we can invite single people to do life with us at a really high degree. Not just a passing, how are you at church, but inviting them to the dinner table, bringing them along on vacations. Nikki and I have had babysitters over the years that we we try to do more than just, you know, pay them to watch our kids, but to bring them into our family life. No one should be outside of the margins of family. Even if you're a single adult, we can make a difference there. It can look like initiating a relationship with a neighbor who's a shut-in or remains distant from other people. Or maybe something as simple as embracing a family who has newly immigrated to our area and we make sure that they know whether or not they speak our language, we love them, we care about them, and they belong here. So in these and many other ways, we can make a difference in the loneliness of people. When I was in college, a chapel speaker challenged all of us to ask ourselves this question. I want to give you the same challenge To ask the question, who is the loneliest person in my sphere of influence? It it could be that at some point or another we might be engaged in a, a military conflict with another nation. But somebody from that nation lives in our neighborhood. How do you think that they feel? Wondering if people think of them as the enemy. As someone who's new to a community is asking themselves the question, am I gonna be accepted here? Who's the lonely people in your sphere of influence? And what's one thing you can do this week to let them know that they matter, to let them know that they belong here? See, in Bible times, loneliness looked like fatherlessness and widowhood and orphan, and it it looks the same, but I think the 2022 list could include also people with mental illness, single parents, immigrants, refugees, victims of abuse. These and dozens of more categories of people remain on the margins of society. Church, it is our job to bring them in and to let them know that there's people that care for them, that they don't have to live life in loneliness and in isolation, And so, lastly, this is the opportunity that is before us. It's to go love. Um, I'm stealing that expression from William and Shiloh Karshima, who are pastors of Oasis Church. Our two congregations, Oasis and Horizon West, merged together last April. And one of the three core values of Oasis Church, at least for the last several years, was to go love. Give hope, grow faith. And go love. And Oasis Church, for the eight years that it was under the leadership of William and Shiloh, demonstrated the heart of God to the Winter Garden community and beyond. They did it by orchestrating racial reconciliation conversations in the community. They did it by sending a team to the border to receive immigrants and to give clothing and food and shelter. They did it in those and many other ways and we want to say, "Hey, let's build on that legacy. Build on that foundation that they laid. Let's continue to go love our world to Jesus." John chapter 13. Right before Jesus introduces the disciples to the Holy Spirit, he says this, "A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you also must love one another. By this all people are going to know that you're my disciples, if You love one another. Now here's what's remarkable about the timing of this. In just a little bit, Jesus is going to empower the disciples through the Holy Spirit to heal the sick, raise the dead, pray effectively, and preach with boldness. And Jesus says, none of that is gonna be the identifying mark of your faith. None of that is gonna prove that you belong to me. What's greater than acts of power and demonstrations of authority is the simple Acts of love that you're going to do every day. And when people see your love, they're going to go, That reminds me of someone. That reminds me of Jesus. Now, we're all for displays of God's power. We believe that God is in the miracle working business. We sang about it a moment ago. But the greatest thing that you can do as a Christian is to extend love to those who are hard to love, to extend love to those who are on the margins, to do the hard work of forgiving those in your life who have wronged you. It is our love that shows who we belong to. Let me ask the question, what does this look like for followers of Jesus 2,000 years later? God, what does it look like to go love our world in 2022 and beyond? Well, I know statistics don't tell the whole story, but let me share a few to highlight and to illustrate the opportunity that we have here at Horizon West Church. As you know, according to a YouGov uh, survey in 2019, 27% of millennials and 33% of those in Generation Z identify having zero close friends. Every generation that we've been tracking has identified greater and greater degrees of loneliness. We're becoming more connected to technology, less connected to each other. Church, we have an opportunity here. Not only that, but did you know that loneliness among elders, uh, loneliness among senior citizens accounts for an additional burden on the healthcare system to the tune of $6.7 billion because of chronic loneliness and the health issues that are coming out of that. When Nikki and I were youth pastoring in my hometown of Sebring, Florida, we once a month took a group of middle schoolers to an assisted living facility. It was all people that were toward the end of life. One time, the, the manager of the facility came out to greet us. He said, hey, I just want to thank you for what you're doing. I want to thank you for what these kids are doing. He said, of our residents, over 90% don't have a regular visitor that comes to see them. I asked the question, well, how do you track regular visitor? He said, once a month. Over 90% of the men and women in that facility, men and women who had raised families and worked jobs and contributed to society, were living the last years of their life in total isolation. No one coming to see them even once a month. Church, we have an opportunity. We can change the narrative. We can change the situation when it comes to loneliness in our world. Let me add this, by the way. All the surveys that I looked at this week were pre-COVID. And if it was bad then, our loneliness from shutdowns and lockdowns and social distancing and remote work, it's only getting worse, which means the, only, the opportunity is only getting greater. So here's the plan. Real quickly, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each of these. Here's the plan. By the, grace of, by the grace of God, Horizon West Church will be a place that strengthens existing families. And we're going to do this on a lot of different levels. One of the ways we're doing it is through our monthly men's huddle, which happens every first Wednesday of the month, this Wednesday included, June 1st, 6.30 in the morning at our Oasis campus. You say, what does that have to do with families? Here's what it has to do with Families. The breakdown of the family unit in America is largely in part, men, our fault. We failed. <laughs> we, just, we failed. So many have run out. So many have abandoned. So many have allowed uh, workaholism or, or other addictions or simply the compulsive nature of thoughts and ideas and desires to govern our minds and therefore to destroy our homes. We want to change that. We want to call men to step up as husbands, as fathers, as employees and employers. We want to say, men, we have an opportunity to change what the family structure looks like in America. We're looking at marriage enrichment opportunities that range from a a message series on marriage to small group curriculum around marriage, or maybe even partnering with a marriage uh, seminar or a marriage retreat weekend in the fall. We're looking at all of that. We want our marriages to have a chance to not only survive, but to thrive. Not only that, but did you know simply coming to church on Sundays, men, when you lead your families and show up, moms, if you're the head of your home because there's an absent dad, when you lead your family to come, grandparents, when you lead in bringing your grandchildren, there is a lot of truth to the old saying, a family that prays together stays together. And just being here, just being in the midst of biblical teaching and worship and community can help to strengthen the family. We're going to do that. Here's the second thing we're going to do. We're going to, by the grace of God, we're going to extend the reach of existing families. Here's what I mean. It's not enough anymore to simply make sure that our own family unit is safe and secure. All the kids are home at the end of the night. Everything's good. Everything's locked up. Everybody has what they need. There's too much brokenness in our world for us to stop at our own family. Yes, we start there. Yes, we meet the needs of our family first. And then we say, God, who else needs a family? And maybe that looks like foster care for your family. Maybe that looks like adoption. Maybe that looks like wraparound care or care portal. That might even just look like grandparents or aunts and uncles stepping into the lives of extended family members whose families are falling apart and saying, you can come and live with us. We have members of Horizon West Church who are doing just that. And we're going to encourage and support them to do it all the more. We're going to extend the reach of our existing families. And finally, by the grace of God, we're going to authentically live out church family we throw that expression around you know welcome church family but I want it to be true that every person who shows up knows this is a place they can belong we're going to do that by making sure that even first-time guests go I mean it's my own first time here but I feel like these people are legit family I feel like this is a place that I could call home We're going to do it by increasing the reach and impact of our home groups. We already have several that meet. We'll be launching several more in the fall. We want every single person, every couple, every family to have access to a home group. And we're going to do it by caring for one another in tangible ways, praying for and with each other, visiting each other in the hospitals, taking each other meals when there is a need to do that. This stuff is already happening every single week at Horizon West Church. We're going to make sure that it doesn't stop, but that it just continues all the more as we authentically live out church family. And here's my vision. I want to say it in the form of a question. What if there was a church in West Orange County that every time people left, they didn't say, what a great worship experience. Or what a good message that was. Or what incredible programs they offer. What if every time somebody left from being with us, they said, wow, I've never experienced love like that. I've never felt so much like I belong in a place. That's what it means to be a church family. What if that was us? Next Sunday, we are beginning a brand new series. And I don't know what the name is gonna be, but it's gonna be on the Holy Spirit. Because the reality is, Jesus said, I'm going to send you a companion, a counselor of the Holy Spirit. Even if you feel isolated from other people, you can know that through faith in Jesus, there's one who lives in you and who will never abandon you. We're going to talk about him for the next six, seven, or eight weeks. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? How does he bear fruit? What gifts has he given us? We're going to cover all of it. I want to encourage you next week to come out. And not only for that reason, not only because we're in a new series, But next week, our brand new worship leader, Socrates Perez Jr., is officially starting to lead next Sunday. I want you to come out, worship. Yeah, you can applaud that. Come on. (laughs) Worship with him and alongside, get to know him and his family. They're going to be an incredible resource for us as a a church body. They are going to become part of the fabric of the Horizon West church family that God is creating. But here's the reality. It's way bigger than a worship leader, bigger than a pastor, bigger than a staff, bigger than our volunteers, bigger than any one of us. God, I know and believe in my heart, wants to do something new, and he wants to do it through us. He wants us to be a place where those who are on the outside know they have a home. So let's do it in Jesus' name. I'm going to pray for us in just a second. We're going to sing a song and then I'll come up to close. Would you stand with me as we pray? And then after the closing song of worship, if you need somebody to pray with you, we have church leadership uh, individuals and couples that want to receive you in prayer at the conclusion of the song. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a father. We get to call you that because you called us by name. You made us your child through faith in Jesus. And God, we say along with the Apostle John in 1 John 3, 1, how great is this love that the Father has lavished upon us that we get to be called children of God. Lord, in a world that too often neglects, too often takes advantage of, abuses our children, Lord, we commit and we covenant to be in a church that will not allow that to happen. God, we covenant to being a church where children are protected, where children are loved and nurtured and pointed to you. We are for them, God, and we commit and covenant to you. Would you help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to be a church that loves children and raises them up to know and love you? God, thank you for all that you are. Thank you for all that you do. We commit ourselves to you anew in Jesus' name, amen. Team, lead us as we worship.